0: Welcome to the April 2018 Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary. This month's Editor's Choice is a prospective trial evaluating the impact of Heliox on airway pressures and gas exchange in mechanically ventilated patients with severe airflow obstruction. Leatherman and colleagues report a 10% reduction in peak airway pressure, but no change in plateau pressure in this population. Importantly, there was also no decrease in the total PEEP, and the fall in PCO2 was minor. They conclude that despite anecdotal reports, Heliox has no impact on dynamic hyperinflation. In the accompanying editorial, Kleeman and Huffmeyer describe the potential benefits of Heliox beyond the mechanically ventilated patient with severe disease. Heliox may have benefits during aerosol therapy and is perhaps best suited for spontaneously breathing subjects with less severe disease. Povitz and co-workers report on home mechanical ventilation in Ontario, Canada over a 12-year period. In a province with a population of 13 million, the use of home mechanical ventilation increased by 0.3 per 100,000 people from 2000 to 2012. Increases in the use of home mechanical ventilation were primarily for neuromuscular disease and thoracic restriction. They also demonstrate that the initiation of home mechanical ventilation is associated with a decrease in the number of hospitalizations compared to the year prior to initiation of home ventilatory support and an accompanying editorial comments on the importance of developing robust home ventilator registries in an effort to evaluate outcomes in this population. To date, 30-minute spontaneous breathing trials remain the standard of care for determining patient readiness for ventilator liberation. Guapang et al. evaluates characteristics of patients who pass an SBT at 30 minutes but fail after 120 minutes. They found that PCO2, rapid shallow Breathing Index, PaO2-FiO2 ratio, respiratory frequency, and pH were independently associated with 120-minute spontaneous breathing trial failure. Two or greater of these predicted SBT failure in each case. Nanchal and Truitt comment on these results and point out that an aggregate score can be useful, but doesn't identify the etiology of failure, the latter being critical to avoiding future failures. CPAP remains a standard of care for treating neonatal respiratory distress. Bennett and co-workers describe a low-cost bubble CPAP device designed for low-resource settings. Comparing this system to a commercially available system demonstrated similar performance. A number of devices for low-resource settings have been described to bring this technology to emerging nations. High-frequency oscillation remains an important rescue therapy in pediatric respiratory failure. Rowan and others perform a retrospective analysis of 85 pediatric ARDS subjects who received high-frequency oscillation after transplant. They found that the early use of high-frequency oscillation was associated with improved survival compared to late implementation and had similar outcomes compared to subjects treated only with conventional ventilatory support. These numbers are too small to make any definitive conclusions, but the early use of high-frequency oscillation and conventional mechanical ventilation had higher survival compared to the use of late high-frequency oscillation. De Julio and others evaluated the use of an open oxygen face mask design for oxygen therapy, the open mass design theoretically allowed for the use of lower flows without concern for CO2 rebreathing. Using historical control, they noted a decrease in the volume of oxygen used and no reported change in adverse events. The clinical importance of this remains to be determined. Using a portable ventilator during transport reduces variations in ventilator support compared to manual ventilation, yet manual ventilation is commonly used. Walton et al. found that ventilator use was suboptimal during interfacility transport of pediatric patients. They developed a ventilator boot camp to educate therapists in the use of a portable ventilator. They found that boot, the boot camp increased the knowledge and skills associated with mechanical ventilation used during transport. They also identified the need for re-education at defined intervals to maintain skills. Hugh and colleagues evaluated four methods of securing endotracheal tubes using twill tape. They tied tubes using four knots and tested for slipping with the twill tape both wet and dry. They reported that double hitch is the only knot that prevented slipping. The author suggests use of the double hitch knot may reduce accidental extubation. Lacerda and others describe a multi-detector CT method for monitoring lung dysfunction and cystic fibrosis. This CT results were paired with pulmonary function testing in CF patients and normal subjects. The CF subjects had greater non-aerated regions and poorly aerated regions compared to controls. These findings correlated nicely with pulmonary function studies. The use of CT can be used to evaluate structural and functional changes in disease progression. Sedation during mechanical ventilation represents a challenge for the ICU team. Excessive and too little sedation both have consequences. Miser and co-workers describe the use of a system for providing inhalational anesthesia during mechanical ventilation. Compared to propofol and midazolam, isoflurane allowed continuous spontaneous breathing and reduced need for opioids. This system uses a technology to return isoflurane in a fashion similar to the way a heat and moisture exchanger returns heat and moisture to the respiratory tract. Monitoring respiratory function during procedural sedation is a key to patient safety. Nichols and colleagues described the use of a monitor that measures minute volume using non-invasive impedance from a chest wall sensor. During total intravenous anesthesia, all patients were monitored with with the RVM. The control group blinded data to the anesthesiologist while the intervention group had access to the data. Compared to baseline minute volume, the intervention group spent less time with a minute volume less than 40% from baseline and had fewer apneas. The authors suggest that this new monitor may be a useful tool for identifying early signs of respiratory depression and maintaining adequate ventilation to minimize patient risk. The helmet interface is a unique non-invasive interface for non-invasive ventilation. Kalunga et al. compared the helmet to nasal prongs to deliver CPAP in pediatric subjects with bronchiolitis. In a crossover trial lasting 60 minutes, the devices performed similarly. There was no difference in the need for invasive ventilation or in measured physiologic parameters. These data suggest that the helmet is equivalent to nasal prongs in this small group of pediatric subjects. Hillman and others described the use of perioperative non-invasive respiratory support in this month's narrative review. This includes the use of CPAP and BiPAP and adaptive servo ventilation in subjects with sleep disordered breathing and chronic respiratory failure. Sleep apnea in the post-operative period has been identified as a safety concern, and this review addresses this issue and several others. Our invited review is from Subria and colleagues on the topic of asynchrony. The review discusses the different types of asynchronies, the etiology, and the impact on patient comfort and outcome. Practical approaches for detecting, correcting, and preventing the different types of asynchronies through alteration of ventilator settings are also provided. This expert group has developed technology for automatic detection of asynchrony, and the utility of these systems is reviewed. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.